You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 2. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick and Nami. This is Episode 23, covering The Stone Sky, which is the third and final installment in N.K. Jemisin's Hugo Award-winning Broken Earth Trilogy. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. All right, real quick before we dive into our summary, please note the following trigger warnings for the Stone Sky. Parental death and genocide. They're getting shorter. This list got shorter and shorter as the series went yeah. on, <laughs> which is good, I guess. But then I guess it decided to like, it, it, it got shorter and shorter. And then at the very end, it was like, and then the murder of an entire people. Yeah. So, yeah. Hooray. Yeah. And, on that, and on that note, Nami. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, y'all. It is time to dive into the Stone Sky, the third and final book in the N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy. And this summary is shorter than our previous ones, but I'm already parched, so I'm going to drink some water. <laughs> Always a good idea. All right. Now with some uh, <laughs> lovely throat lubrication, let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping in at the end of the obelisk gate, we join the former inhabitants of Kastrima Under as they move north after the battle with Renatus, destroyed the geode, and ultimately the whole comp. Essen, who has been in a coma since the opening of the obelisk gate, awakens to find that her right arm has turned to stone as a consequence of harnessing the gate in order to unleash the boil bugs on their enemies and imprison the stone eaters in obelisk. She is nursed back to health and learns she needs to try to harness the moon in order to hopefully end the fifth season. No big deal, right? Meanwhile, Essen's daughter, Nossen, is recovering from the shock of using an obelisk to kill her father by turning him to stone. Despondent and angry, she resolves to use the obelisk gate to cause the approaching moon to collide with Earth and destroy, well, everything and everyone. Her guardian, Shafa, agrees to help her reach the only city on the other side of the planet, Corpoint, because she can activate the gate from there without the need for the Onyx Obelisk, which is essentially the central com- control obelisk and the one that her mother used. Again, no big deal. <laughs> Kastrima Under and the ragtag bunch of people they have collected reach Renanus after a costly desert crossing. Essen has learned that her daughter is planning to open the gate as she herself did, which will almost certainly kill Nasen. She also learns that Jija is dead by Nasen's hand, and that Essen's former guardian, Shafa, is still alive and is now with Nasen. And realizes that the way she and Jija raised Nasen made her susceptible to Shafa's love. Hashtag trauma life. Gosh, I hope that doesn't become a real hashtag. Uh, in the midst of all this, 
Hoa's story is revealed via flashbacks. In the distant past, human technology, which seamlessly fused advanced biotechnology and magic, had reached its pinnacle with the creation of the obelisk gate. This network of obelisks was designed to tap the Earth's magical essence and therefore generate an inexhaustible source of energy. To accomplish this, scientists created a race of humans with exquisite sensitivity to magic by basing their DNA on that of a race of people whom the now dominant culture defeated and subjugated. These tuners were meant to control the gate and tap the magic from Earth's core. However, the night before the gate was supposed to be activated, the tuners discovered the fate of the people their genetic code was based on. They were being kept alive as human batteries, wired to the obelisks to charge them with magical energy in eternal torment. Hashtag how about another helping of trauma? So Hoa and the other tuners decided to, tun to turn the gate's energies back onto the city of Silanagist, destroying it rather than perpetuating this injustice. But when he and his fellow tuners attempted to do so, the earth itself took control of the obelisks and tried to use them to melt the crust of the earth, which would have sterilized it of almost all life. Hoa and the other tuners managed to avoid this catastrophe by preventing some of the obelisks from activating, but this was done at the expense of their physical bodies. They were all transformed into the first stone and the moon was flung into a high elliptical orbit by the massive energies involved. Nevertheless, enough of the obelisks were activated to cause worldwide devastation and plunge humanity into a dark age racked by the fifth seasons. This is also known as the Shattering. Back in the present, Nasun and Shafa reach the ruins of a city in the Antarctic region, from which Shafa believes transportation is available to Core Point. They descend into the ruins and find a functional transportation system that links to Core Point by going directly through the center of the planet. But during their trip through the Earth's core, Father Earth removes its iron shard from Shafa, which is condemning him to an early death. Nasun is distraught and soon decides to use the gate to transform everyone on Earth into stone eaters rather than destroying the Earth and Moon outright. Esun departs for Core Point with a small company hoping to intercept Nasun and prevent her from killing herself and destroying the Earth. Just prior to leaving, she figures out she is pregnant again, having begun a relationship with Lerna, the comms doctor, and her longtime friend. Hoa, the stone eater who has been following her since she left Tarimo, offers to take Esun and her little crew to Core Point by transporting them directly through the Earth. Unfortunately, as they traverse through the center of the planet, skirting around the core, they are attacked by a rival faction of Stone Eaters, and Lerner is cool killed. Cool, 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 cool. Hashtag so much trauma. Asuhun arrives and attempts to seize control by using the Onyx Obelisk to return the moon to orbit. She and Nasun struggle against each other, but neither can gain an upper edge. And rather than risk her daughter's destruction, Asun eventually gives up in hope of allowing Nasun to complete her task. When Asun relinquishes her control of the gate, she is completely turned to stone, and Nasun, moved by the sight, decides to follow her mother's path instead, using the gate to return the moon to orbit. In the aftermath, the fifth seasons are ended, and the civilizations begin to rebuild. In a cave deep underground, Hoa patiently awaits the rebirth of Esun as a stone eater. She emerges from the geode and expresses her familiar wish to make the world better. Hoa and Esun set off together to do so, and this is how we as readers learn that the Broken Earth trilogy is comprised of Hoa describing Esun's life to her as a means of reminding her of her previous life in order to connect the stone eater, Esun, with her lost human self. The end. 
All right. Yeah. How so is much. that real, guys? Like, holy <laughs> shit. Now you yeah. know what I have been sitting on this whole time. So long. I did not spill the beans, and I am, like, so impressed at myself for that. You should be proud. Yeah. Like, I was just, like, I've been vibrating. That was that was very impressive. Yeah. This, yeah. But this last book does such an amazing job of, like, being the end to a trilogy because it manages to do that thing where it answers like most of your questions while still leaving things open-ended mm -hmm. while also like giving you like that secret backstory that you could sense was there this whole time and it's mm -hmm. like it's one of those things that like I'm normally the type of person that like I want all the answers. Like spell it out to me explicitly. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened. Tell me what will happen. Do not give me an open ending. Do not give me open spaces in the narrative. Fill in the gaps. I want mm -hmm. all I want all the like I want all the goop in there. But like this was like such a perfect like level of like like <laughs> information <laughs> conveyance where like Jemison obviously left gaps and like not every single thing was informed like you know there's still like weird details of this of the history of this world that I absolutely do want to know that we don't know because Hoa and the Stone Eaters and Hoa as the storyteller of the story doesn't actually know but even with that perspective I still am so satisfied with the amount of knowledge that I have in this story and I think that's one of the reasons this is like one of my new favorite story one of my new favorites books wise because like i rarely leave a series this satisfied like even I, series when i think enjoy, i'm never content with where they left and the information that they gave me and i think that she also you know i don't know if she'll ever explore this world anymore but she could very easily put out some little ebooks or novellas or whatever the way that like brandon sanderson does or the authors of the expanse series do that that kind of give you those in-between moments. You know what I mean? Like one of my favorite uh, Sanderson books is Edge Dancer, which is this tiny little novella, like tiny little novella that just tells the story of one character that you love, but don't really get enough of in the main books. And like, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, if she takes a break from writing different series and stuff that Jemison will revisit this, this world. Cause like, I mean, one of the things that, I had kind of wanted to note is that this book, you know, the stone sky, it pulls back the curtain and it lays bare the rest of the details of the ugly past of the stillness that we didn't know yet. You know, we had these tiny bits and pieces, but this lays bare like everything that you really need to know that led to the ugly present that we have been, mm -hmm. you know, experiencing in the first two books. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it was, uh, I, I, I will say that yet again, I felt like there was a lot of book here that led up to a, a little, like an ending that felt a little bit rushed. Um, and, and not, not that it wasn't told well, but, uh, I feel like she really could have made this book like twice as long and it still would have kept the attention you know what i mean um i totally get what you mean i personally did i personally like the pacing um i also did listen to this in audiobook and for me mm -hmm. pacing worked in the sense that 
as you started to slowly learn the story of Sil Anagist and everything that happened to Hoa and the original children that became the Stone Eaters, the Tuners, everything starts to like snowball and accelerate and things go wrong quickly. And the same thing is sort of happening in Essen's story at the same time. So like, I know what you mean by like, they could have a lot, like there is, there was so much story packed in at the end and so much action that it could have taken place over two stories. But I think in terms of like, you know, that snowballing effect of like the inevitable happening, it made sense story-wise, pacing-wise for me. Cause like when I was listening to this, full disclosure, I was listening to this at work while, you know, like doing handy dance, handy tasks. So <laughs> and full tasks. So, you know, and like, as the story was going on, like I remember like starting in Silanagus and being like, la di da di da flashback hours. And then like, as like, by the time we got to the third flashback chapter, I was like, oh man, shit's happening. And we got to the fifth and I was like, <laughs> and like, you know, like it kept like, there was never a moment I felt where like the energy waned in an awkward way, which is why I like that pacing. Cause it was always up and you got to that climax and the climax was at the very end. And it was like everything shoved into one and it was like, all right, and we're done. And I think for me personally, it worked a lot, but I do see what you mean. And that literally she could have written this as like three more books and I would have been okay with it. But also I probably would have cried not having answers all in one book. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it being a trilogy was I, I I completely agree with that choice. Um, and actually, I, I read something. I think it was one of the afterwards or whatever. It, it it must have been in this book, but it could have been in the previous one where N.K. Jemison was saying like how she applauds these people who write these tomes and like how you know she she was basically saying how difficult it was for her to like write this trilogy and and have each book be as even as long as it was and I was like but it never seemed long enough like and 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 I don't like I this book wasn't slow nothing about like I I didn't I know I said um in for the obelisk gate I said that it felt like kind of slow leading into the big action sequence at the end this book didn't feel that way at all it's more just that I felt like there's so much that wasn't said and then like bam all the action and it's over and you know it was it it's more like a oh i could like i wanted so much more of this like in a good way you know mm -hmm. if if i could Leave like them wanting more yeah, yeah if i could if i could like like just like live in the experience of the world that she built with the moon and the moon i would just i would just i would just enjoy being there for a very long time i yeah I want more mm -hmm. of it, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm like content with where it ended. But at the same time, I'm like more, but at the same time, I'm like content. That was incredible. Well, and it, it, you know, one of the things that it began with the first book and, and I, I don't want to say this book, it didn't completely end in loss and we'll get into that later, but there is that theme of loss throughout the trilogy began with Essen losing her child. We learned that, you know, the earth only began its war against humanity after it, it lost its child, the moon. And then in the end, uh, Nassen, you know, Essen dies. So Nassen loses her mother. So it's, it's a very, it's very circular. Um, yeah. And like, you know, you know, in that sense too, like Essen loses her life, like, you know, like that, 
it's all very it's like it's like all i can think of for some reason is oprah's you get a car you get a car except it's you get you get a loss so like not although i feel like poor sn loses the most like oh for sure i I guess you could say that that nessa nasa nasa and sn nessa and sn oh my god i guess you could say that nasa and sn kind of have equal amounts of loss. Uh, Nassan loses her brother. She loses her father. She loses uh, her father figure, Shafa, and she loses her mother. Um, Essen loses her son. Uh, well, shit, she loses Alabama. Well, so no, it's not equal. It's not equal because I'm, forget- I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting about all the previous deaths. Like she lost in a. Uh, Just in terms of like, if we're counting loss in terms of deaths only, that's like, ugh. no, yeah. Well, be- like, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not, like, but I'm more trauma happening here. I'm not counting deaths in terms of just the number of people they lost, but more in terms of like the amount of loss and the importance of these people, you know, to them in like the, in like the length of their life. So like, I, I think in that respect, like NASA lost so many people that were very important to her in such a short time. Essen has lost more people, but it's been so spread out. And not that that makes one more or less important than the other. It just, it affect, it's going to affect an adult who has experienced loss before yeah, differently than it's going to affect a little girl. I mean, I, mean, who, I think who, one really important thing to note though, is that everybody that Nasen loses is somebody that Essen also loses. Like if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Cause like mm-hmm. everybody that Nasen loses, she loses her father. Essen loses her husband. She loses her brother. <laughs> Essen loses her son. She loses her adopted father. Essen loses her teacher. You know, so it's like, mm-hmm. and like, and then you know, at the end, Nasen loses her mother, Essen loses herself. Like, you know, so it's like, or I does she? Although, to be fair, to be fair, she is gaining herself back now with Hoa's help, mm-hmm. which is uh, to to be fair though, Essen. Um, she she doesn't. I I, I mean, Shafa was her guardian and she has long since kind of cut so, that tie and, and I have very mixed feelings about that. Yeah, yeah. So the relationship between Nasin and Shafa and the relationship with Essen and Shafa is very, very mirrored. And the abuse and conditioning that Essen faced at the hands of Shafa still made him as important to her as he was to Nasin. Objectively, in a way sort of more because he did save her and like take her to this new world and like you know Essen had or sorry Nasen had in a way her mother's support for a time but you know like like Nasen had parents to lose mm-hmm. Essen Demaya did not have parents to lose and you know in a way Shafa becomes that parental figure to her so thoroughly he's not just an adoptive father he is her parent completely and it's yeah. like, you know, Essen essentially in this very specific case loses Shafa twice because she loses him first when she, you know, like actually thinks she kills him on the ocean. And then she loses him again when she thought she had him back with that very mixed feeling of like, he's looking after her daughter now. Is she, is he going to look after 
her daughter the way he looked after her, which all which wasn't good, you know. And then like, you know, so like, I definitely think Nasan lost Shafa again that second time because you know that relationship that they have. Like Shafa was absolutely abusive to her, but he also did you know love her and Nasan or sorry and Essen did feel loved in turn by him. Therefore, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. The the whole Shafa storyline is just I mean, and it's it's really kind of sad in the end because he, you know, he in book two, he sort of starts getting that uh like we start feeling more for him. Like he he gets that sort of character arc where we realize that he actually he's been controlled and he's trying to kind of beat that down and be a better person and be what Nasan needs him to be. Um, and then, you know, in the end it, 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 I don't want to say it doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, he, he is like, he's just lost kind of entirely. Like it, it, they're traveling through the earth's core and father earth pulls that, that, bit out of him and he's just he never really recovers from that like there's those moments where Nasan I think sees that there that, that he might be a little bit more uh awake or whatever and then he go you know he goes down into into um warrant and sits in the chair and everything and 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 he's there with her for like a moment but I it, it was it was surprisingly, you know, sad the way he went. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Shafa's story is all the more tragic for that. And it also, in my eyes, it kind of makes his redemption in the second book, like, all the more, like, important and compelling. Because you realize how soon after he redeemed himself that he completely lost himself. And it's just, it's really sad. It's like, it's like if Zuko had his redemption arc and then he was, and then he, like, like turned into a vegetable and was in the same insane asylum as Azula. Like that's what this was. Oof. Oof. I hope you guys liked my sad avatar. You didn't have to go that hard. Jeez. I know, right? Did you like my sad avatar parallel? No, I I hated it. Especially since I'm reading an, an, an avatar book right now. Like I hate this so much. I mean, I don't know. Like Nick, did you have any thoughts about like, everything that happened with Shafa and the loss of, of him, you know, how, how Essen might've felt it versus Nasen and everything. You know, uh, I'm not sure that I have a whole lot of feelings about, how, you know, Nasen versus Essen. I have a lot of feelings about Shafa as a character. Okay. I think, you know, he definitely has, it's so interesting seeing him in the second and third books. Mm-hmm. But I do still think that there is a thread of abuse in his relationship with Nasun. Mm-hmm. And that line that um, the Esun has about realizing that essentially the way that she raised Nasun and then what Jija did to Uchi and, or Uche and, uh, and to Nasun, like that made her susceptible. Like that fucked me up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because it because it really doesn't feel like if I think about the relationship that Shafa and Nasun had, I understand that that Shafa was being controlled and compelled and that he was fighting against those urges. But also the things that he did, not even necessarily directly to Nasun, but like, for example, you know, murdering all those uh, people in front of her and then like basically helping to condition her to also murder people like that's fucked up. And so while yes, Shafa is a different character in the second and third books, really interesting and compelling points. And I appreciated getting some of that POV like, yeah, nah, no, no. <laughs> never became a good person. No, he didn't. I think that's an important distinction to make. He definitely had a redemption arc, but he mm. never became good. He yeah. became better, but not good. I'm reminded that's... of Jamie Lannister in the books, Song mm. of Ice and Fire, about how he's got this redemption arc going, but like he's only got it going because he lost his sword hand. And mm -hmm. like then he's still in Feast for Crows, threatens yeah. to send a baby over the walls of river run by trebuchet. So yeah. it's like, it's like, Oh sure. You've got a redemption arc, but also you're not good. You're yet. still not a good person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, like different character, different story, obviously, but it, it is very yeah. much like that, that parallel of like, you can have a redemption arc and still not be good. And 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 for you know for all I know with Song of Ice Fire that's not yet with Jamie Lannister but for for Shafa his story has ended and mm -hmm. I I mean I think I I mean I think he got all the redemption that he was ever going to get that he was that he ever necessarily like that he ever deserved maybe um yeah. uh and and but also like we have to remember that this wasn't a lot of it a lot of the bad that he did wasn't him. It wasn't him as a person. It was him being controlled by something else. Um, not that that, you know, and, and this is, this is fantasy. Yeah. This isn't real life where this is like a person feels like they're being controlled by the elements around them or, and really they can do something better and be something better. This is like literally a physical control thing that he, and he, he did actively fight against that. And I think that's important to note, you know, he might not have been a good person still overall, and he might've still been like a bad, you know, influence on Nasen, but at the end of it all, like he was doing the best he could considering. Um, but the, I mean, that's not real life. That's fantasy. Yeah. As Queen is so fond of saying. <laughs> or they ask that, they don't say think, it. But. Yes. You know, is this the real life? The point fantasy? about Shafa is that despite, or rather, because of the way he was raised and he was conditioned, he also has a very different idea of what is acceptable and not acceptable beyond the mind control. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point that Nick is making here. Because even beyond the mind control, when you see him do questionable things in book two, when he's fighting that mind control, and when he's presumably making these decisions of his own violation, he's doing questionable things. Like that's that's never like yeah, yeah. not a thing. And I think, you know, 
a part of that is to like recognize that Shafa is also in this weird like circle of abuse and like being oppressed and like sort of raised by a group of people that's being mind controlled and oppressed in their own way. And like, it's a really weird parallel to look at what the guardians are in terms of what they're doing because they're essentially being like mind controlled by father earth into like mind controlling the population on a whole to hate war origins and just all of mm -hmm. the levels of that, just like, ugh, all of it. Well, all that uh, one, one of the other, you know, things that I kind of, came across was um, the idea that the, the, the idea slash theme in that, that this trilogy at, at the very end really pushes is that the conquerors weren't superior. They were just kind of lucky. Um, and, and part of that being like, they're constantly the, the constant underestimation of the power of the people that it like completely dehumanized is the same power that brings its brings about a downfall but also the guardians are they are oppressed in their own way and they aren't they aren't robbed of their power they're made complicit in their own oppression and the oppression of others and like i i think that I, this series like like jemison she really like compounds on um the minority trope you know, uh, and, and, and it's, it's, there's so much that like, if I, if I had read these books, uh, four years ago, five years ago, I would have understood what she was, well, she, the first one came out in what, 2016? I think it was 2016, I think the first one was 2015. Was it? I'd, I'd have to, I'd, I mean, I'm not sure publication. I know, I know the, the Hugo awards, I believe are 2016, 2017, 2018. Um, that she won. So it might have been 2015 for the first one. But like, if I had read this book when it first came out, if I had even read it in 2016, I would have understood the, the you know, what she was getting at. But I don't think, um, particularly as, as a white person, I don't think I would have uh, felt it so deeply because my life was, you know, has, has always been very sheltered. I, I, mm -hmm. I will not deny that. And it still, it still is because, you know, I'm a middle-class white woman, white person, um, but having, you know, seen the world turn the way it has in the past few years, I mean, really since, since late 2016 on, um, mm -hmm. I, 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 there, there's a huge difference between the way I would have read these books three or four or five years ago and the way I read and view them now. And it's good. You know what I mean? Like, because it, yeah, for sure. I, I like, I, I would almost hope that anybody who read these books a few years ago would pick them up and read them again, because these themes, these, these, you know, everything that, that Jemison was portraying in these books was always there. But it's as as somebody again who is is not oppressed the way that so many people in this world and in this country are. Um, it, it it was just way more. Just I don't, I don't know. Like I don't know how to describe it. But the, the, it just it, you notice the nuance more. Yes, exactly. Speaking of that nuance that is something I wanted to bring up because I agree with what you 
are getting at when you say the conquerors the conquerors aren't superior just lucky but i think there is a level of that idea that is a bit deeper that needs to be expanded on because i sort of see this in a different you know more deeper light in that the conquerors aren't superior but they're also not lucky they are a very specific type of person or creature or being that knows how to manipulate and is willing to manipulate in order to gain and maintain power. And that is very different from being lucky. And I, uh, yeah, I honestly just couldn't come up with the right word for yeah, it. So I, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, think, I think it is very important to note that in most scenarios, a conqueror is not in any way superior. They just have the ability to convince those who are conquered that they are inferior. Or, or if they don't convince them that they're inferior, they have the ability to, they have the superior arms and numbers to do the conquering in the first place. Um, or I think it's a combination of both maybe like uh, there's so much like there's honestly like there's so much I want to say but I can't because it like gets into some stuff that happens in the fourth book of Temera which we're covering next which weirdly enough has a lot to do with this whole conquerors thing which like <laughs> we I know we have not really like been in love with the Temera series before now but honestly the fourth reading the fourth book of Temera especially after this series has been like whoa this is like so much fun now <laughs> like yeah, I've been, as we all well know I've been solidly meh about Temera <laughs> so it's uh, true, solidly meh ah you know like like Lawrence Lawrence is a solidly meh person he continues to be, he, he gets slightly better than that. But anyway, that's something we'll talk about in two weeks. But I will say like reading these books and, and th th there's some stuff that happens in the fourth Temera book that is like, mm -hmm. yeah, it, 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 it's, there's a lot of the whole conqueror versus conquered thing that comes up that I was like, whoa, like really glad we split this up the way we did because yeah. That's awesome. Um, it was totally intentional. We knew what we were doing. Yeah, exactly. It was we all it. deliberate. It was perfect. Um, so, you know, and, and back to, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of like the guardians like being, mm -hmm. you know, made complicit in their own oppression while and and also oppressing others like there's like this there's this constant theme of dehumanization of the origins uh you know it causes so many of them and we see it through Essen and through Nassen that they feel this like shame and self-hatred and you know they they're afraid that they really are the monsters that everybody believes they are um because they've they're they're part of this society that was like built on exploitation um, mm -hmm. that, that brainwashed the people it exploits into like doing the work for it and, and forces its people into these situations where they have to make these awful choices. You know, I, there's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, how, how is this possible that we're still in this day and age saying like, 
like like view like reading something like this and saying, my God, I see this in real life still in 2021. Yep. Like for Christ's sake. It's so upsetting. Eh, I guess I'm more of a realist than you guys. I exist in a world where, you know, people fucking suck. Yeah. So. I mean, we don't have to deal with it the same way that you have to deal with it. Yeah, there's a reason, like, this is a pattern in human history. There's a reason this happens over and over again. There's a reason, you know, we sort of know the idea that, like, you know, the winners of the wars write the stories and the stories of the conquered are erased. Like it's because this is the thing that's been happening forever and historically. And there's a reason these stories about war and about loss and about, you know, the like subjugation of a whole people and like genocide. There's a reason these topics keep coming up over and over again in literature. It's because it keeps coming up over and over again because humanity keeps doing it over and over again. Like, well, and that, that kind of give Father Earth his land back, get rid of the pestilence of humanity, bring the moon into the earth, wipe it all out. Team Book Two, Nasan. What just happened? Um, well, I mean, and that kind of leads into the whole <laughs> uncertain ending, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and how it leaves us with all these questions because, you know, we know that. Now, first of all, I, I have to, I want to, I want to go, like, I want to read this, like, kind of conversation that Hoa and Essen have when she's re, when she's reborn as a stone eater. She says, I want the world to be better. And Hoa says, then let's go make it better. And she says, just like that. And he says, it might take some time. And Essen's reply is, I don't think I'm very patient. And Hoa thinks, don't be patient. Don't ever be this is the way a new world begins. And he says, neither am I. So let's get to it. Um, And I think that that's so like, God, you really hope like, like, cause we are in this place in, in, in life right now in the real world where a lot of people have finally decided that we're not going to be patient anymore and complicit anymore. Um, So I think that's really like a shining, like a oh, beacon of please let's not, don't be patient, you know, just do it. But at the same time, even with the book ending with that conversation, the ending leaves us with all of these questions. Like, will there really be p- peace between the origins and the stills? Um, will there be new stories that are true stories or will these new stories simply continue doing what the old ones did, glossing over or outright erasing, you know, the crimes and cruelties that have existed before. And, and you know, I think think the saddest part is the reason we don't have the answer to that is because nothing will change. That's very dark and cynical of me. But, you know, in a way, that's sort of what I see in the world now. Everybody was so fired up. We got Trump out. Like, we did it. Heck yeah. And now everybody's burned out and we're taking a break. And part of taking a break means that like bullshit is still going to happen under our radar, you know? And it's like, I have seen the cycle of people not directly impacted by the abuse, take up the arm, take up their arms and feel outraged. And then I've seen that outrage peter out into nothing. I mean, listen, I just saw a billionaire ride a penis rocket into space. 
So Just I'm still outraged. <laughs> like life is a meme doesn't mean it's getting better. <laughs> except, 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 except for except for Jeff Bezos's wife, who literally got fifty like million or billion dollars. I don't know what she got. She got a fuck ton of money, and then her ex like disappeared into space. So like, good for her. But like for literally everybody else, like, no, I'm still mad. So <laughs> I'm still here, mad. But yeah, yeah I mean, you're, you're, I, mean, you're I right. guess that makes sense. Like for me, I'm just tired, you know? And like, it's just like, I would love to believe that everything is fixed in this world and that they do eventually figure their shit out because it means maybe we'll figure our shit out. But also I am not optimistic. I'm a realist because I've been disappointed so many times. This just yeah. the saga of Nami is sad at the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that you just have to hope that the theme of rebirth that comes up again and again in this series like does continue but in maybe a more solid and positive way i mean like we we see like demea rejecting her past and like changing her name to cyanite which she had to do in a way because you know she's in the fulcrum and they're supposed to choose a name um but she still you know moved on and then you know mayov happens and cyanite rejects her fulcrum training and everything and goes and and, and becomes essen and then essen is like literally reborn through hoa eating her piece by piece um still, still a bit uh, uh yeah it's so weird it's so weird um but like the, the you know, the, the the whole idea of rebirth in this series is like the foil to all of the death. Um, you like know, the, I think in a way, the like rebirth at the very end, like Essen's like final rebirth into the Stone Eater, like in a way, I think that's the reason I was so content with how the story ended, like ending on that last rebirth and ending on that hope. Because, you know, in a way, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't see how it could logically actually get better. Like, I just see the ideals. And I think, like, that hope is the message. And, like, that hope and, like, the reminder to not get cynical and the reminder to keep being stubborn and to keep fighting. And, like, like logically at this point, like, there is no further rebirth for Essen to experience. Therefore, her story's over. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I think like in the end, like the characters don't really win either. They close the mm -hmm. door on this chapter in the stillness's history by destroying a whole bunch of the world again, um, which is what, you know, Hoa and the other tuners did with the shattering in a way. So it's it's yeah it's very much like god is the cycle just going to perpetuate itself or will hoa and essen and nasen you know because she also is is part of this and is going back to renanis to you know hopefully live her life and be part of them rebuilding society like will they will everything they experienced 
mean that there can be, you know, more like and better change than there was after the last end of the world, essentially. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it, this this series is very bittersweet. It's very bittersweet. Like there's an ending and it's not yeah. bad, but it's not great either. And I think that's why it sits well with me. Mm-hmm. I don't think a happy ending would have worked here. Mm-hmm. Or rather, a happy ending would not have worked here because it would not be realistic at all. Oh no, yeah. Trust me, I am I am cool. all about the bittersweet slash open ends. Like I everything I like everything I've ever written has had at the very best a bittersweet ending. I do not write happy endings. So like <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate works like this so much because this is it's like as much as I grew up loving, you know, uh, like Jane Austen and everything where everything ends all happy. Like that's not how real life works, man. And when it comes to modern works, especially, I, you know, I, I, I prefer the realism, even, even in sci-fi and fantasy, I prefer the realism. So, uh, oh my gosh, there's just like, there's so much, uh, there's just so much to touch on. I, I don't know. Like, Ooh, you know, in a slightly happier note, because I just made myself really, really sad there by examining my, you know, um, lack of optimism and faith in humanity at all. And so <laughs> let's talk about something cool. I just yes. love like the whole like build of Solanagist with like the idea of like, you know, like a technologically advanced place that really embraces this nature. Because, you know, in most sci-fi things that you see, it's always like, technology, 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 technology. And the fact that like everything being organic was part of like the sophistication of the Solanagus culture was like so cool to me. I just thought that whole aesthetic was very neat. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that we got that added, you know, not just the history of how things happened, but uh, also though, it was so weird. It was so weird. Like all of everything about Sil Anagist was like, and, and and part of it I think was because a we're seeing it from Hoa's point of view, and he kind of didn't know much about the culture itself because he'd been raised so sheltered, and b like it was very short, you know what I mean? What we got, but mm-hmm. it was it was definitely a very like cool so, bit of world building that I think was done very well in the short, you yeah. know, amount of time. So I really interpreted Sil Anagist was it was a sci-fi world, but instead of being built in chemistry and physics, like most sci-fi things are, it was built in earth science and biology. And I think, you know, in like the very little glimpse that we did get of it, like just that was enough to like solidify the idea of like, yes, this is a science society, but the form of science that like took the driving reins in what this society was going to be shaped as was nature Mm -hmm. and biology instead of like chemicals. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. all go up and ball come down. So in the end, I mean, this clearly wasn't our earth. This was. I mean, I still think it could have been, maybe, like in an like, like an alternate universe, like a like AU AU Earth, yeah, or like a far future where we become environmentally conscious because we're like, oh, we're killing our planet. Let's maybe care about it a little bit, and then we decide to kill it in a whole different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Love that for uh, us. I love that. I love that. I love that journey for us. Not. <laughs> not. Love that journey for us. No. I don't. Nick, what did you think about like the Sil Anagus stuff? Did you like? I enjoyed it mostly from a world building perspective, right? Because like you start to get this sense of of what came before because you you really we have this fairly dystopian apocalyptic world that we've been living in for most of the series and then you're starting to get this idea of what what was before and even like little hints of what was before that and we're we're talking about this giant time scale that makes it hard to kind of really piece together a timeline but you don't really need the timeline it because of the way it's written so it's just nice to get that sense of things and you know also it's really great to get a sense of who hoa was how hoa fits into the the larger perspective of the world and why he's so important now mm -hmm. i loved like the you know whole like the sort of like callback slash everything coming full circle that like antimony and slate were both also the originals with him and like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Antimony was the one that he got along with more and like slate was like kind of like the the grumpy sad boy and like you know like i just seeing all of that come together at the end was like very satisfying yeah yeah i, I, I the, the hit the like was asides in a sense about what happened to the other originals and like how a couple how like a few lost themselves and about it how a few were gone because they just didn't wanna they just they just noped and like mm -hmm. oh like the one i can't remember their name but the one that he, he you know how i said like that that they didn't they like also like they refused to conform to all the standards including like gender standards like we aren't really boys or girls, but like we choose, I am he, I am she, but this one chose, like this one is they, because they refuse to conform to that and everything. It was just this like passing thing that was like, ah, I like, I like that. I like that, that like, there's that little inclusion. And, and mm. what I didn't like was that that was one of the ones that apparently lost themselves, you know, like that, that we only really know what happened to, Poa and uh, I guess I can't remember Antimony's original name and Slate was the one I think his his name started with an R and he was like the he was like kind of the attitude -y, like like you said he like angry angry boy he was the grumpy angry. boy yeah but like but even when he was like he was there like he was he was still in a they were all still in agreement you know what I mean it was like what happened after the fact is what changed him um because when it started you know when they decided no we're not gonna let this happen he was they were all part of that um it's a little bit sad that only three of them or, or well i guess he i guess hoa says that like if they found themselves again they never revealed themselves you know which is also fine like they go through this like insane trauma and you know that's totally okay if these others kind of want to be like, even if they know who they are, like even if they know themselves, they want to be like lost to everybody else. Um, yeah. I don't it, know. It was, it's really interesting though, when you think about it though, cause like straight up, they've been alive for 10,000 years or rather they've been existing for 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. And like 
in my mind now, like the reason Hoa was in the garnet is because him and Steel got into a fight, and Steel was like, "Fuck you, dude!" and yeeted him into a garnet, and he stayed there. <laughs> like, I'm not having a good time. <laughs> I forget. Like, I kind of, I kind of almost forgot about that. Like, oh my god! Like, Hoa was just trapped in this garnet for how long? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I totally- maintain that in my mind, it was Steel who did that. I haven't decided how long Hoa was stuck in there in my head, but it was a, it was probably a bit because I don't think Stone Eaters experience time the same way that we do. Because otherwise, ten thousand years would probably suck real fucking hard. But yeah, no, it was <laughs> it was a bit. I'm like ninety nine percent sure that it was Steel, and if I ever meet NK Jemis, then I'll be like, so it was Steel who like stuck Hoa that garden, yeah, right, like that that was that was Steel. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> can we ask? Can we just like? Can someone tweet at NK Jemison yeah. and be like, "Can you please just clarify that it was in fact, and and whether or not, uh, and say ye, yeah, whether whether or not it was Hoa, or or whether or not it was Steel that yeeted Hoa into this Garnet Obelisk. Angry boy yeeted sad boy into Garnet Obelisk because sad boy was being sad and angry boy was angry. Mm-hmm. I also really. I also really liked how when Hoa was telling his sto- the story of his past, how he was describing, um, he described the 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 OG origin uh, as looking like Essen, and he was like, ah, I don't know that she actually really looked like you, but like this is what I wanted to. It was it was very much no. um, the unreliable narrator, but the unreliable narrator admitting that he's an unreliable narrator because he did it. This he did the same thing with um the uh conductor the lead Ooh. conductor with the ice ice oh my god ice white yeah ice? made him like look like uh Shafa, like Shafa. yeah and and he's like i don't know that he really looked like him but like this is this is like you know what i wanted him to look like and it's like mm-hmm. i loved i loved that sort of like i know i'm an unreliable narrator but i'm just gonna do it anyway i just enjoyed it because Howard was literally sitting down and being like listen i have hyperfixated on two women in my life and in my brain they're the same because i have no depth and i know it listen all i am is sad <laughs> that's all i got going for me so you're the same person listen i'm sad and i think you're her again and and yep. I'm just and, doing and I, I love you. You freed me from the garnet. This and one so time now I'm going to follow you around like a sad boy. Yeah. This one time you smiled at me in a rock. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to ugly cackle about that. Oh yeah. my God. How is, is that guy? He is a little bit. He is a little bit. Yep. Yep. Like I, I, I feel like it's it's easy to gloss over like the fact that Hoa and, and and now granted a lot of it also had to do with who Essen was as a person, like mm-hmm. how how she did reach out to him in the gar- when he was stuck in the garnet and ask if he was okay, and also like who she was as a person after like like he he attached himself to her for so many reasons. But in the end, it's still more than a little creepy that he was like, you asked me if I was okay, so I followed you around and, like, made myself look like a child so that you would, like, feel feelings Mm -hmm. for me. And, like, it is manipulative. And, like, especially since he knew that in the end this would mean that she turned into stone. 
I, it's like so funny in my mind because like all I'm imagining is Hoa stuck for like multiple thousands of years with only steel and antimony for company because the rest of his friends are like, I don't care about memories. I'm just going to become a husk of a stone. And between steel just being aggressive and antimony just being apathetic, he was like, somebody show me an emotion. And then somebody showed him an emotion and he just barnacled onto her. <laughs> Yep. And I'm like, oh dear. Oh, oh dear. child. Can we get some stone eater therapists in the house? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Like, so in the end, like I said, we're left with a lot of questions. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't think I want to know what happens in the future for, or it, in the future of the stillness, you know, I would love to see, like I said, NK Jemison go back and kind of write some little novellas or, or stories or whatever about the past, like little character studies, maybe in and on and on. Like, I'd love to see a little character study, like on like how he really became the pirate King and stuff like that. But I don't think, I don't think despite the unanswered questions at the end that I want to see any more about the future of this series. Like, I feel like that would diminish, uh, it would diminish like the overall like themes and meanings and yeah, everything. I think, you know, for me personally, I'm team, like, I don't even need those short stories, nor do I particularly want them. Like, I think for me personally, the series, like it gave me the information that I needed to know and it filled in the holes that I needed to know. And it left me feeling very satisfied, albeit sad, but hopeful. And I think that, you know, it, there are, okay. So let me put it this way. There are stories in my mind that need more, or there are stories in my mind that can benefit from more. There are mm -hmm. universes that were built that you can keep writing short stories for and keep writing content for. And those universes would benefit from it. One of those universes is Game of Thrones. Another is Lord of the Rings, you know? And I think there are other stories that are just told so concisely and so beautifully and so perfectly that they don't need any more and that they wouldn't benefit from more. And I think this is one of those stories. Because to me, it's like, yes, I would like to be in this world more. But I don't think more should be written because I think what exists now is just already perfect. <laughs> I think my bias is showing. I just really love this series. So well, I mean, much. and listen, like that's okay. Like we don't always have to agree on everything. And like oh, what sure. I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I don't. I, I agree that there does not need to be a continuation of what happens after. You and just want more I, of Inon. I, I want, I want, I not just Inon, but like, like I want little bits and pieces of the character. Like, I would like to know more about Lerna. I would like to know, like, I would like to know his side of, of some things. Like, even if it's just him being a student and then becoming a doctor, like mm. just like little, little bits and pieces that it doesn't change the outcome of anything. Oh, yeah, no, no, it just gives you a little more insight. And I, I'm not saying it's necessary. I just say I'd like it. I you know, like fiction urge in a sense, like, yeah, you're right. Them. This might be fan fiction urge. Yeah. So fan fiction doesn't need to exist to change the story, but sometimes fan fiction just exists for, you know, people to write about the characters more and explore them more within canon. And that's what I really like sometimes about fan fiction. This is one of the rare instances that I haven't felt the fan fiction urge because I do feel the fan fiction urge for almost everything. And yeah, you do. 
the reason I'm harping on this so much is because it is so rare for me to feel so absolutely satisfied in something that I don't even need to sit down and write fan fiction about it. Like not even in my head. And like, that is absolutely like out of left field for me. I think this is the first time that's ever happened to me. I want to write. There is, I'm very, I don't want to write fan fiction for this series, but now you've made me possibly want to read it. If it's just like fanfic about like, random characters in their past there's like 34 works in the broken earth series uh on archive of our own 34 nice. that's it that's I it makes sense doesn't give you like, a fiction urge i i, I guess it doesn't like I, but now i kind of want to look through these and see if there's any like little like side tail type things because like <laughs> if we're not getting it from nk jemison i'll read some fanfic just but i don't like i don't want a change in the ending i don't want a, a continuation of what happens after i just want like little bits and pieces like i want that character study of lerna or inan or um uh Hyarka or i mean shoot even 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 tonky like Ooh. like something about her time their their, their their time a tonky something about, yeah something about tonky's time in between when they met you know uh, Essen, when she was, uh, I oh got it. Harry Potter Tonky story. Tonky. <laughs> oh my God. When she goes to like whatever fancy school she goes to, and she's like, "Bitch, I'm a boss. I'm a bitch. I'm a boss. I'm a bitch." I'm a I boss. would, I would actually love to see some more Tonky content, like. Mm -hmm. She's so that bad. whole story is fascinating. And She's so I bad. They, they, I, yeah. I, I don't. It, she, they, she, like, she is so yeah, bad. She's, like, she's, she's so bad. But like, like in the best sort of ways. Like, she's not a bad person. She's just so like. She gives me so major like entrapta vibes. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. 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 Tonky is entrapta. She is a scientist first and foremost, mm -hmm. and I yeah. think. That's what makes her so compelling because yeah. there's a level of scientist where it's like, you're not quite mad scientist, but you're like science first, nothing else. Yeah. That is what Tonky is. And I really yeah. her for that. And I love her for that. Honestly, I love Nick for the Tonky is and Trapta <laughs> because that is, it's absolutely like, I, I, do I think, well now, do I think that Tonky would have gone to like, do I think that Tonky, would have gone to the bad side just for the science. I don't know that because well, see, I think, important point. Entrapta didn't. Entrapta went to the dark side because she thought her friends had betrayed her, and she thought that the dark side were becoming her new friends. Entrapta was hardcore manipulated into the bad side. Yep, she just wanted like, friends, y'all. Like, but she was also very young, and I don't know that Tonki would have fallen for the same thing. Uh, I could be wrong though. Person, I think. I think it really depends on the person. If you are an older person who has not had many meaningful friendships and you lose the one or two that you have had, I think anyone at that point who extends a helping hand would be very enticing. And so, you know, I think that's not an age specific thing. I think that's an experience specific thing. And you could have the experience. The experience of loneliness is not age limited. And we've definitely seen people go to the dark side of like QAnon and other pretty nasty things despite yeah. being you know maybe having friends groups maybe having um varying levels of education that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't potentially corruptible by 
propaganda and manipulation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is uh, what this really makes me want to do, though, is read more of N.K. Jemison's work. Yes. I've heard yes. some of her Sweet. short stories on um, LeVar Burton Reads, which is phenomenal. Uh, but that was how I actually first heard about her. And, um, but now I want to read her other trilogies. I want to read her short story collection. And I don't think any of that is based in the broken earth world, but yeah. I'm, I'm still like, I just love her writing style and I want yeah. to read more of what she's done. Well, I will say that like for season three, the first series I want to start with is a four book series. So I feel like it would be a fun thing to do is do like, weird number series like not trilogies <laughs> but like four books and then and she she's written at least one duology that i know of i'm pretty sure it might be two duologies so like yeah it would be super easy to work and oh, yeah. um, you know i'll admit i had not heard of her until nick you suggested broken earth as one of our things and then it was kind of on my radar but i had kind of forgotten about it as well and I started listening to a book podcast called Reading Glasses, and they talked about Broken Earth a couple of times. So they were like, this is amazing. This is really good. And I have been taking a lot of book recommendations from them. And because of them, I've been reading outside my normal only fantasy niche, which is pretty <laughs> But So I added the book because of that. And then I managed to get it just like, I think it like, I think I ended up getting it like accidentally early from like, the library or something back in March, which is why I ended up reading it and devouring it. But like, ever since then, I've been like very much like I need to read more NK Jemisin stuff. I actually mm -hmm. have, um, I think it's like, uh, the like some something with kingdoms in the title that she's written. And it's like the first book in a series. Yeah. And I have that. The Inheritance the Trilogy. The first book is yeah. the 100,000 Kingdoms. Yes, that. Oh, no, so I have that on loan for my library in ebook form on Libby right now. And I've been meaning to read it, but the problem is that I have so many things. I have two library cards, and so I can have 16 things out at once because of mm -hmm. that. And so what has happened is that my reading order is now prioritized, not based off of what I actually have, but what I have that also has that thing that pops up that is like, so-and-so number of people have been waiting for this book. And so, oh, yeah. Yeah, so therefore I've been reading. Yeah. You know, I waited like, oh my God, I waited like, three months to get V.E. Schwab's A Darker Shade of Magic, and I just got it, so I've been, like, going through that. I waited four months to get, like, the second book in the Folk of the Air trilogy, and so I, like, finished that yesterday, but, like, so I've been, like, sitting on that, and I'm just, like, I'm, like, I need time to read this. I need time to read this, and I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get um her The City We Became book that she just wrote, mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. I'm gonna do that for Book of the Month next month. So basically I've been reading a lot this year, guys. I've already read 35 books this year. It's that's amazing. Wild. Go Nami. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've been reading a lot too, but a lot of that is because of this webcast. Like not just because of the books we've been reading, but like it's it's just made me remember how much I love just Same. relaxing with a book. Yes. So I have a book here waiting for me actually right after we finish this. Another book of the month read. And you know, this is this is just regular old fiction. No fantasy, nothing. What's wrong with me? I'm just <laughs> reading contemporary fiction for fun. I put like thrillers on my to read list. I voluntarily read a thriller like a month ago. It was wild. 
Who even <laughs> are you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, well, on that note, so so, any last thoughts about uh, any last thoughts about this trilogy? Like, other than I mean, I really freaking enjoyed it. I've already been recommending it to people left and right. Um, it is such a quick read, and I, yeah, I, I mean, it they're they're quick reads, but not in the you know, quick dumb reads, they're quick reads and that they are, they're just that good. And that like, it's very, it's very just, it flows this whole series, all of it flows very, very well. It's been added to my favorite books ever. Oh, all three of them have been added to my favorite books ever. And that's out of out of 15 books ever. Yeah, that's not that many books on your list. That's amazing. Favorite books ever. All three yeah. of them. Like, damn, son, they're doing great. <laughs> um, Love it. But yeah, so so any any last thoughts from you guys other than Nami, it's on your favorite books list? Like, Yeah, I just, I'm really like, I'm simultaneously excited and terrified to read more N.K. Jemisin because a part of me is like, yes, she's my favorite author. And the rest of me is like, but what if I don't like anything that she writes as much as I love this? And then a part of me is like, don't be scared. Yeah. I I don't know about any of her other like full length things, but the, the short stories of hers that I've heard have been fantastic. And I'm just so excited to read more of her work. And, you know, we've read so many people who particularly like we've read for example lee bardugo in the shadow and bones series that trilogy feels very different and at a different level of maturity than six of crows and that's not a bad thing and so if i go back and read something earlier in her career and it's not at the level of broken earth that's okay i can still enjoy it but honestly i suspect that like it's all pretty good stuff so i'm just really excited to enjoy moyer for work my like literally my my final comments are right along lines with nami's like this has become one of my favorite series i've been recommending it to people left and right and uh i think Clearly, if you're at this point in the podcast, you've listened or read the the series. Like, we don't need to hype it up to y'all, but mm-hmm. <laughs> go spread the word. Tell people about how amazing N.K. Jemison is. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I recently suggested it. Um, actually, Red Rising is the series that made me want to start this webcast, which is so funny mm-hmm. because we haven't done Red Rising yet. Nope. Because I'm waiting for like a release date for the final book because Red Rising <laughs> is going to be another it's going to be another Grishaverse undertaking where that is an entire season in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. right now there are five books, the last two of which are very long compared to the first three. And there's a comics, like a like a graphic novel series. And it's 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 Ooh. amazing. And I love it so much. It's so freaking good. Because like, I read the first one and I've read one of the graphic novels and it had me hooked. And yeah, awesome. yeah, they're they're I'm so excited. good. And it's like that's what made me want to start this, but like that that and and that's what I'm saying. It's like I actually suggested this series to like somebody in the Red Rising fan group I'm in on Facebook who was asking like, what do I read next? And I was like, listen, this isn't Red Rising. This is not Red Rising. But what it is 
is a grim, dark, like sort of a, I said, it's sort of sci-fi. And then I, I mentioned the cli-fi thing, like climate change, because Red Rising actually has that sort of cli-fi aspect to it as well. Um, which you learn more as you get further into the series. And I said, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's a trilogy. It's finished. It's really good. It has uh, that similar writing style in that, in that it's written, you know, kind of mostly in second person, you know, where he's saying you, 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 you. Now red rising isn't that red rising is um, it, it's different, but it's, it's, it, I, I feel like anybody who liked Red Rising should like these books. And if they don't, they're wrong. <laughs> Hashtag same vibes. <laughs> so, vibes. Okay. Well, on that note, I do want to just give a quick shout out to two websites that really gave me some great insight into um, what we discussed on tonight's webcast, which the first one is, <laughs> these websites are so long, wrongquestions.blogspot.com. And the second one is Tolkien, like the author, T-O-L-K-E-I-N, Tolkien about sci-fi.wordpress.com. Um, Cause they both had some really insightful. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, Tolkien about sci-fi, right? It's so I clever. It. Why haven't I ever thought about That's that? That's so upsetting. How did they come? So good. Huh. And like, I kind of want to go back and read more of their website because, because I, I mean, the, the wrong questions one, wrongquestions.blogspot.com uh, wrong was really good. But the Tolkien about sci-fi.wordpress.com, uh, they're their blog entry about this, like I pulled some things from it, but mostly it was just a really amazingly thoughtful and well-written article about this, about the series. And, and I was, I'm just like, I need to go back and read more of their stuff because it was, it was really, really good. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put the links to those in the video description for this. Um, maybe tomorrow, uh, pro probably Ooh. tomorrow, but not today. Also fun. <laughs> Fun aside, real quick for you two, and also for Jonathan. Um, so I got my embroidered fabric for my screen accurate Shadow and Bone Zoya Kepta, and I also got my the hat that I commissioned for her screen accurate hat. Nice. So, um, nice. That actually happens soon when I finally. Whenever you get this cosplay put together, we need to you need to put it on, and we need to do a like a Zoya character study rant, like episode of this webcast, just like a bonus episode. Right? <laughs> I, would, I would perish. Right. Yeah. Char character study on Zoya. Okay. Well, on that note, once again, I'm Tara along with Nick and Nami. Thank you again for joining us for sagas and sass. And we will see you in two weeks when we'll be talking about empire of ivory, which is the fourth book in the Temer series by Naomi Novik. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.